Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. The lead-up to the annual New Zealand International Film Festival is slightly bittersweet this year. The programme, as always, is an astonishing mix of riches of established festival favourites and exciting new talent. But this time, long-time director Bill Gosden won't be guiding us through them. Bill retired earlier in the year, and the new director, Martin Rabatz, doesn't start until 2020. But the festival goes on triumphantly, offering the best of the year from around the world. Women's creative input is not making it into our nation's storytelling. Most of television and most of film is men making stuff for other men. Well, that's it, that's it. Il y a trois mots qui sont importants pour moi. Inspiration, création, partage. I suddenly conceived a brilliant idea. What could I take from them? Perhaps their lives. Break the laws of nature. You'll pay for it. Long-time programmer Sandra Reid has been the tireless scout for movies at most of the great overseas festivals. And if you envy her job, two days at Cannes will pretty much cure you <laughs> of that. It is totally full-on, but Sandra seems to thrive on it. Hi, Sandra. Hi. Hi, Simon. So have you been to... What were the festivals you went to this year? Um, my year begins with the Berlin Film Festival. Mm. I then attend Cannes. Cannes would be the main event for us because it's just before we finish our programming. But I get start my year gets started in a way after the festival with the London Film Festival and IDFA, which is a great documentary festival in Amsterdam. It's all go though, isn't it? Jim? Yeah, it is. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and so this year in uh, our festival, what are the big tickets? What are the big openers and closers this now, year? Now the big opener. It happens we're opening with a tremendous film that was in. But out of competition, called La Belle Epoque, which is perhaps a little more mainstream than some of our opening films have been recently, mm. but it's full of panache. It's hugely sophisticated, with a star cast doing tremendous performances. Its appeal is very broad. You know, a man travels back in time. It's a very French Groundhog Day. Is yeah, what yeah, I was yeah, getting. yeah. Very much. It's. Romantic without being sappy. Mm-mm. It's very witty. Is this the one that's got Daniel Ote in it? It has. Oh, I haven't it has. seen him for ages. So yeah, no, he's, he's terrific in it. As is Fanny Ardon, who oh, plays right. his wife. And she, I mean, all of them give great performances. So now what else have we got? The way we sort of define our big centrepiece, which is also a French film, Portrait of a Lady, by the young, youngish filmmaker Celine Sharma. It's not quite Portrait of a Lady, though. It's Portrait of, of a Lady, lady on, on fire. fire. And I thought, somebody's <laughs> having a bob each way somewhere along the line here. Bit of the old Hunger Games in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> And we're closing Auckland with the premiere screening of Herbs. 
I'll talk about that a little later on. But I noticed also that while um, there are a lot of the festival favourites, as far as big-name directors are concerned, seems to be fewer than usual. I know that one of them is Ken Loach, who I could have sworn that was his swan song two years ago when he made um, I, Daniel Blake. Which was last year. Oh, right. It was last year. It was in Cairn last year, and I think it won the Palm. It I did. Think. It yeah. absolutely yeah. did. So he's back. Yes, he is back. He's certainly... Uh, this is, is equally moving and as equally urgent as I, Daniel Blake. And in some ways, because it focuses on a family, you know, the repercussions, in this case, of the gig economy on a whole family, I think it has even more reach than perhaps some of the films he's made where it's focused on a single person. I never thought it'd be this difficult. I just want things to go back to normal. You do more for me than you'll ever know. You've got the best thing in life here. You've got a family that care about you. I think as soon as I heard the expression, the gig economy, a couple of years ago, I thought, this is Ken Loach territory. <laughs> and so it proves. And uh, the uh, the director who's normally um, twinned with Ken Loach, though I think they're quite different, is Mike Lee, who yes. makes a film called Peter Lou. Peter Lou, yeah. I, I've got to say, I haven't seen. It mm. was something, I think it closed the London Film Festival. So I can't really speak to it, but it too deals with an historical mm. event. It's a very rare sort of costume drama in some respects yeah. for, for Mike Lee. I see that Claire Denis, who's another of these big name regular appearances at the festival, has uh, has gone sci-fi. She has with a film called High Life. It's her first English language film. It stars Robert Pattinson and Judith Binoche, who of course would be familiar, I would imagine, to our uh, audience. No show without punch is what I always think <laughs> of with Judith Binoche. And um, as it transpires, she is actually in two other films screening in the festival this year. So it's when, as we've been programming, we've been hmm. having fun sort of going, well, that's going to be a totally Juliet Binoche day for right. people. <laughs> I have to say that whenever I spoke to uh, to Bill Gosden in the past about the festivals, we always talk a little bit about themes. And for Bill, it was always totally accidental. And the way the cards are falling this time is a lot of films by and about women. Yes, I guess. And it's that's headlined by the fact that the great Agnes Varda passed away earlier this year. She had completed her her final film. She was even talking about it as her final film, Varda by Agnes, which we are presenting. And she died. She was 90 or in her early 90s. Mm. So she'd had lived a great life. But this was an occasion to highlight several of her films. So we took four films from sort of each a different decade, but we chose films, earlier films that our audiences or New Zealanders wouldn't have seen for quite some time. There's a documentary, Da Guerre which is a film about people in the street she lived in called Rue de Guerre. So it's a play on the idea of the Da Guerre which was a photographic process. And they're just portraits of simple folk like bakers and butchers. Um, There's also the very strong Vagabond with Sandrine Bonner, which is Mm. a tough portrait of a young woman who's anti-everything. You know, she's uncompromising. Agnes Varga was famous for basically coming out around about the same time as the Nouvelle Vague. She seemed to be the one woman among all these fairly masculine directors. Indeed she was. And how did she get on with the rest of them? Was she accepted by that group or did they not have anything much to do with it? I would say perhaps, you know, her films were so individual and so very different from the kind of approaches of, you know, Mm. the contemporary Nouvelle Vague filmmakers that she just followed her path. I remember her once saying, I do my own little thing. 
you know, <laughs> which I think is a very humble way to describe her mm. unique films. You've got a number of women directors and a number of women-led stories, which aren't always the same thing. I mean, sometimes you've got films by women about men and vice versa and so on. But I noticed among the uh, the women films, there's quite a few women behaving badly. I'm looking at Brittany Runs a Marathon and Animals. <laughs> and these are young women. Animals, definitely, they're... I think they're very empowered young women, but um, when I saw the film as an older woman, mm. I was like, oh, I, I fear for these <laughs> these gals' livers. I mean, they're big party animals. It's a terrific film, though, about sort of making that shift into 30-something life mm. rather than the 20-something party that never ends. You're my team! They're going to build a statue of us, immortalised in marble. This is the bit where I puke. <laughs> the Golden Years. <sighs> There's an interesting pair of films, speaking of women, basically. One of them is called This Changes Everything, which is basically the Time's Up movement, movement plastered all over the screen. And the other one is a thing called Nina Wu, but we'll talk about that in a minute. First of all, This Changes Everything. Who, who's in that? G- Gina Davis, but many other women from the Hollywood scene. Mm. It's not necessarily only focused on, you know, Me Too. It's about the women's situation in, you know, in terms of representation on screen, Mm. in terms of what they face Mm -hmm. to either be actors or to become directors or to be producers, just in an an industry that is so male-oriented. And Nina Wu seems to be challenging that narrative in some respects. Yeah, it's Nina Wu is extremely stylish, but it was one that myself and my fellow programmer Michael McDonnell we pondered because in some ways it's a Me Too story. The the lead actress who co-wrote the screenplay documents what she experienced in the Asian film industry, and there are sort of references um, the pretty horrible things an actress goes through to Mm. get a job. But it moves into sort of almost horror territory. And because a lot of it takes place in the act of the protagonist's head, and she's not the most reliable witness, it could be seen that she's undermining the the Me Too gist. And I think that can be complicated for people who are wanting their stories, you know, very clear and cut and dried. So it's a a very interesting film. I found another interesting little sub-theme thing was recent political figures. There's a bunch of stories that look really interesting. One is uh, meeting Gorbachev. This is Werner Herzog. He's the forgotten man in in Russia in some respect. But he's the guy who essentially, more than anybody, made modern Russia for good or ill. Yes, yes. And for people who are familiar with Herzog's work, this will be a very different take for them because Herzog is a total fanboy of Gorbachev. This is like a love letter. Herzog feels he personally, as a German, owes Gorbachev much for the the fall of the the Berlin Wall. That's right. The Iron Curtain started to be lifted. However, Austrian Evening News was clueless about the magnitude of the event. Their lead story was about slugs. And it's an interview. It's based on a, an interview. So it's just between Herzog and Gorbachev. And we, it really allows us to meet this extremely important 20th century figure. 
There are other ones as well, of course. There's a, a film called The State Against Mandela, which is, I think a lot of people are familiar with the trial where Nelson Mandela went on, on trial, but they're not quite so familiar with the other people who went on trial with him. There's the ultimate cold case story, which is ah. the, the story ah. about ah. Dag Hammarskjöld. <laughs> now, if you're of a certain age and you remember when Dag Hammarskjöld, who was the United Nations Secretary General, and he, the plane blew up. Yes. What and, happened? And this is what the filmmaker seeks to find. But in this, on the path to finding this, reveals possible other, because there's a lot of conspiracy theories around what happened, whether the plane was blown up and why it would have been blown up or what, you know, was he assassinated. But on the path to discovering this, the filmmaker uncovers other things that may or may not be true. The filmmaker has a very quirky approach to making films, mm. very disconcerting. And it's that film, in fact, is not a fake, but a special pick because I just thought he makes such individual films. There's also a film about Roy Cohn, who is <laughs> <laughs> responsible for quite a lot of what's going on right now. And yeah. I can't wait to see that one. There are a number of thrillers. There's a whole wide range of stuff. And just because there are a lot of films about women doesn't mean that there won't be films about the environment. There are films about racism, the LGBTQ community. There's all that sort of stuff. But there's also quite a few films from New Zealand this year. Yes, yes. We've got, I'm not sure whether it differs from years past, because I think, you know, we certainly strive and have a strong Aotearoa, you know, films from Aotearoa, particularly Bellbird, a first feature. Now, that opened um, at Sydney, didn't it, it? Yes, it was in Sydney's competition, which is a great honour because often New Zealand films are not selected in that position. We understand the film was hugely loved, oh, well. and rightly so. We love it as well. This is one of Bill's picks, in fact. So we're really thrilled to be presenting it in the festival. How's your dad? He's OK. You two must have some scintillating conversations. Mum used to do the talking for both of us. Most of the New Zealand films, as usual, in fact, are um, documentaries. But the other drama, of course, is Ant Timpson's directorial oh. debut. He's got a film called <laughs> Come to Daddy. <laughs> and that is at the other end of the scale. <laughs> you know, we have rural New Zealand, right. a film about community, mm. a small intimate film. Ant's film is also intimate, but in very different ways. <laughs> I found it very funny. I think years of putting this stuff on, on the screen in the incredibly strange section, I'm dying to see what it is. Yeah. You know, I think I've got a pretty good idea already. <laughs> there are other documentaries. There's A Seat at the Table, which is about the wine industry. Yep. Uh, there's Capital in the 21st Century, and I remember when that was being announced. This is um, uh, Thomas Piketty's view of why the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer, and I was thinking, I don't see a movie in this, but clearly somebody's decided so, to go yeah. for it. Yes. There's a documentary about Helen Kelly, Kelly which yeah. I think will be fantastic. Yeah. And you mentioned Herbs, and I think that that may oh, very yes. well be the standout film. 
Well, Herbs, um, it's terrific. It's an overview of the great group and, you know, their genesis and and how the interest of them in their songs. Mm. It's our closing night in Auckland. Oh, perfect. Which we think is a lovely way to finish. Mm. And so we're having premiere screenings also on Wellington and Christchurch because the film is having a release uh, later in the year. So we're very pleased to be including it in the programme. Long ago... Thing that kept us together was the music. It made me realise that we started opening up all these doors that were closed. It's just the music. The music will talk, and it will never finish. I have to say that I always look out for the music um, films in the festival, and you've got an embarrassment of riches. I'm looking at some of the ones you've got. Aside from herbs, you've got a story about Michael Hutchins. Well. I think we'll probably know where that's going to go. That's going to be shock, horror, scandal. No, it isn't. Really? It isn't. It's really quite intimate because the material used, there's home movie footage. It was made by somebody who worked closely with the singer and making the the music videos, and so knows him very well. But, in fact, there's lots of reflections by Hutchins' girlfriends and I found it as much as you know there were when he was with Kylie Minogue it sort of was like a joke I remember that's right you know like what's he doing with her (laughs) but what she has to say about him and what all his partners or fellow musicians he Mm. worked with or family members it's reveals a very different side to so it's not so it's, it's sad. Not... There's, it's sad, of course, because it's a huge talent yeah. and so magnetic. You just see how extraordinary he was. I see among the others, there's Miles Davis, who's oh, yeah. another of the most charismatic people in the business. Yeah. And uh, that film is called Birth of the Cool, of course. But uh, aside from the other ones, PJ Harvey, Maria Callas, but the one that I'm looking forward to, of course, is Aretha Franklin, oh. Amazing Grace. It is... Goosebump. This is early 1970s, isn't it? And yes, she was 29. And this is Aretha at the peak of her powers, yeah, I think. totally. Know. And she, um, it's the recording and film of her recording of a double album, which went on to be a double album called Amazing Grace. And it's all gospel music, isn't it's it? It's gospel. So mm. she wanted to get back to her gospel roots. So it's in a church in Los Angeles, in a small church, which was once a movie theatre, with an extraordinary choir. I mean, I saw this in Berlin, and even talking about it now and thinking about it Mm. just makes me tremble. I mean, you know, you just want to sing and dance and weep and, and applaud. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. I know that there's always a very strong showing of arts documentaries. I, I see that there's something about the great drawer. I don't know what you would call Escher. Is he? A, oh yes. So he's a. Well, he did woodcuts. Yeah, I was trying to think of a word that wasn't painter because yes. that doesn't what, isn't what he does. They were woodcuts that captured people's imagination Absolutely. and got turned into, you know, psychedelic. Were coloured. They were I often know. just black and white. Some very intricate. 
he moved from doing woodcuts of places, landscapes or cities he liked, and into quite abstract things that sort of fold in and out of each other. And that, it's those later ones that seem to capture many people's imagination. There's another one called The Miracle of the Little Prince, and that's a really interesting story because The Little Prince is a French fairy tale that has gained a worldwide reputation almost second to none. They say that it's the third most translated book ever. And, yeah. The fact is that it's about the translation of this and about... Yes, and that it takes... Um, I mean, I, I wasn't aware how translated that story was in mm. that tale. And the film takes the approach of... Because it's a, about the translations of that book, but from various peoples whose languages are either under threat or are disappearing or people who were deprived of their native or first language because of political or cultural reasons mm. and how this tale of the little prince and their translation into a language allowed them to reconnect with their language. It's a very interesting film. Also, you have a number of films about film, and I'm not surprised that all three of them, there's a woman connection in each case. The first is about a silent movie pioneer that I and probably everybody else has never heard of. Her name is Alice Guy Blachet. Who's she? Well, I, like you, until seeing this film, she was not somebody I knew of either, but she was a maverick filmmaker who... I think, shot her films, she produced them. And the film, you know, allows us to meet this woman and revive, I guess, a history of the contribution of women to early cinema through the story of this one particular person. Well, I think that's really interesting. There's a film uh, by a woman director uh, called Making Waves, which is about the movie's soundtracks, basically. Yes, what about or sound in cinema, which may sound like something only for the dedicated cinephile. But in fact, it's because, you know, we love movies, we watch them, and I think you often treat them as just a visual mm. medium. This really enlightens us to the impact that sound has. And for some directors like Spielberg, I think he talks about how, for him, sound is more important or the key importance. Speaking as a person who reviews movies on the radio, I can't tell you how important sound <laughs> is. And... What is interesting is to see how many women work in this, this who edit sound or create sound. Mm. And the film looks at all aspects of sound. It's not just the recording, it's the sound effects, it's how you heighten a film through music. And it's interesting because there's quite a bit about well, so references to Apocalypse Now, which has extraordinary sound, of course, and we're thrilled to be showing. It's 40 years since the and film. And this is another recut or a remix or it's another version of it yet again. It's Coppola's. It's the film director's version. This is the film he wanted it to be. So it's a new edit with material that has never been seen before, employing, you know, modern technology to enhance the visuals, the sound, and, you know, we're totally thrilled to include that. You know, 40 years on, this film is still a masterpiece. Pick up Colonel Kurtz's path at New Mung Ba, when you find the colonel, infiltrate his team by whatever means available and terminate the colonel's command. Terminate. Terminate with extreme prejudice. 
Well, I mean, we, that gets us comfortably to the retro section, which is Apocalypse Now. There's also the Varda uh, retrospective that you were talking about. And the one that I really perked up about, you, you're playing Kind Hearts and Coronets. Now, I know. Now, this we've got to thank Bill again for this. He spotted... Um, that a new restoration had come out. So encourage us, like, Mm. maybe consider this, which was wonderful. It's a film I've always wanted. I haven't seen it, so I've always wanted to see. And knowing that it's a a beautiful restoration, it's just pristine, it's terrific. It's thrilling to have it. Sandra, we've run out of time, but I always like to end with uh, a (gasps) personal pick. (laughs) I can tell you my personal pick, which is a film called What She Said. This is the great critic Pauline Kale who inspired me to become a film critic. She's just absolutely spectacular, and I can't wait to see that one. And do you have one that you think people should not overlook? My choice, uh, as hard as it is, is a film called In Fabric by uh, the British filmmaker Peter Strickland, in which there is a murderous dress that wreaks havoc in people's lives. I'll leave it at that. I've been talking to New Zealand International Film Festival programmer Sandra Reid. The programme for the festival, all 140-plus titles, is now available online. Just go to nziff.co.nz. The festival opens in Auckland on July the 18th, in Wellington the following week, and the rest of the country after that. Well, that brings this week's show to a close. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join us at the movies same time next week. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies. I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.